to the changelog 008 first of 2010 i am adam stakoviak and i am wayne netherland we got a great show for you today we talked to marshall culpepper from appcelerator and titanium fun little project it's kind of wild to, learn- to see uh, that kind of project be open source you know as as big as it can be and what it is yeah i know it's um it's cool that you can fork it and contribute and add some features right back to it. I went to a JavaScript meetup with Marshall by happenstance last night. He was there and um, he gave the spiel about AppCelerator and Titanium. And uh, I think the uh, the biggest surprise from the group was, wow, that's open source? Yeah, that's what exactly. Did he have any swag with him? He did not. He did not. This was uh, the first or second meetup of a JavaScript group here in Dallas, so I don't know that uh, he was prepared for the swag and, and handing out the, uh, the items that we talked about in the interview, but um, it's a pretty good turnout. Yeah, I like the uh, in terms of swag. I really am looking forward to them pushing hard on that wristband thing, not to kind of follow in Gary V's footstep, but I really like the the phrase "code hard." That's that's awesome. Code strong. Code strong. Code strong. Sorry. Right. Code strong. I see. I took it and you know I went all uh, you know pump up the volume with it. You know, I went back to Christian Slater and said, "Hey, you know, code strong, code hard, same thing." <laughs> you go way back in the vault for that one. Way, way back. Hey, you know, you like the the uh, movie analogy, so I thought I'd pull one out myself. There you go. There you, you know, go. I, I got to do my part. First show of 2010. Yep. You excited? The upcoming new year. Man, this is going to be a freaking awesome year. I can't tell you how excited I am about the stuff we're working on together and what this podcast is doing. We get lots of. People on Twitter talking to us, and we get uh, our various shares of emails about the show and what it's doing. So I'm really looking forward to being able to put the spotlight on a lot of good open source projects, and certainly helping uh, you know put some put some more community efforts into talking about software and software development and practices and community and all that stuff. I'm I'm super jazzed. There's a lot of stuff going on in the open source space, and you know I'm dying to talk about some of the skunkworks things that you and I have. Uh been developing over the last month or so we've been quiet on the blog it's because we've got some cool new features at the site coming out that not quite ready to talk about but you know our main aim there is to shine a spotlight on some some folks doing some great things with open source and i think you'll be excited once everyone sees that yeah absolutely so in this podcast with uh with marshall we talked about mobile i mean and we asked this question in the podcast but is this year going to be you know finally going to be the year of mobile and you know, before we got on this this intro here, I I posted a link to you, and it was an article at uh, at Fast Company entitled "Ford Upgrades Its Hands Free Connectivity System and Prepares to Add Apps." And I'm just wondering if Ford is taking the whole iPhone approach by putting a you know this very sophisticated platform into each of its cars, and you know, and what that's going to do for developers to open up one more market for us to develop against. You're talking about the uh, Sync platform for Microsoft that's in Ford's, right? Well, they, they're taking it a step further by going with My Ford Touch. It's going to be in, uh, available in select 2011 and 2012 models. And I think really where they brought this home at was they brought this that nifty feature I just mentioned, My Ford Touch. And that's going to actually be able to communicate to uh, to like mobile devices too. So you might be able to have like an iPhone or a, a, an Android phone or one of these uh, – you know these newer smartphones, as we call them. You know, do some very cool stuff like maybe voice updating your Twitter status, uh, and that might finally become a reality. It'll be interesting to see how open the uh, the platform is. A lot of times, uh, these car manufacturers tend to be very proprietary with their their APIs and open them up to select partners. Hopefully, it will be uh, somewhat open and, and folks can get in there and create some new uh, cool new features around those. But uh, you know, I guess that's good in a way that it's not wide open because. It is a car after all, and <laughs> uh, you know some road code. It's not like crashing your phone when you crash your car, right? Right, that's true. Well, hopefully the computer systems are, you know, kind of separated in some way. One would hope. One, one would hope. One would hope. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the 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 focus isn't you know Ford here, but you know, I think um, you know. Ford no pun intended. Be, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ford is an American company. You know, I think it's nice to have some uh, some some patrioticness in ourselves and look back to a company that was down in the stock market. Their stock was down to like a, a buck 30. It's approaching eight bucks now or somewhere in that range. I mean, you got to commend them for their comeback and, you know, just hope, hopefully they, they learn from their previous lessons and actually innovate this time. Sure. Sure. That's well, it. in another note, we 
I heard back from Sea of Clouds, yep. as you'll hear in the uh, the interview. And uh, one of the, the news items this week was the Fix Me uh, repo. And uh, he's let us know that a um, winner has been chosen, and he's going to give us the, the juicy details uh, here pretty soon. And once we uh, get the results, we'll uh, post a link and be sure and discuss it on the next show. I thought it was kind of wild, that, that contest, as you'll hear in the, in the podcast. But that's cool. It is cool. Yeah, Open source cool. bounty. Got a problem? Got some money to throw against it? Just put it out there and see who can who can solve it for you. So he lost a hundred bucks, or he spent a hundred. How would you say that? He invested a hundred dollars in crowdsourcing. Everything, everything these days is crowdsourced, man. That's true. Mobile. I mean, it's just insane. Logo design, brand development, you name it. We got to crowdsource the uh, the talent for the show and see what we can do with it. We should. We should. Uh, uh, well, we have. We've asked uh, on the podcast. We've asked people to to suggest anybody, but uh, we're still the hunters. Be sure and uh, reiterate if you've got you know fresh and new open source projects out there that you think everybody should take a look at. Uh, be sure and let us know. Submit at thechangelog.com dot com or it's thechangelog dot com slash submit and uh, and let us know. We'll tweet about your stuff. We're you know we're happy to help in any way we can. It's it's all about. Putting the spotlight on cool, fresh, new open source projects, and that's what we do. Absolutely. When you get to the interview? Yeah. All right, we're talking today with Marshall Culpepper from the Accelerator Project. Marshall, why don't you give us an idea of who you are and what you do at Accelerator? So right now, I'm working uh, for Accelerator, basically uh, leading up the desktop team um, for our Titanium desktop uh, product. And what that is is a project that allows you to write native applications for desktop, the desktop platform, uh, whether that be Windows or Linux or OS X, uh, using JavaScript and web technologies such as HTML, CSS. And we also have pluggable support for um, Python, uh, Ruby, and uh, PHP right now. Um, and so I mostly work on all aspects of all those different things I just listed off uh, with another guy, Martin Robinson, who's... Uh, really also extremely technical guy and uh, we work you know pretty much around the clock <laughs> trying to get it out so right now our team is kind of small um, but we're you know we're pretty dedicated and pretty hardworking. so we're hoping to get a 1-0 out pretty soon and looking forward to that um, but uh, and then um, as far as my background goes I've worked on various open source projects um, before Accelerator I worked at Red Hat uh, working on uh, in the division of JBoss uh, working on JBoss IDE, which was a, um, a set of tools for writing and uh, developing um, JBoss applications. So um, I'm, I've been using open source, been in the open source world for a little over a decade now, and uh, just you know love being here and actually real thankful that I get to you know put food on the table writing open source software. So awesome! Yeah, we love open source too, man. That's you said the dream. you have a you have a small team. What what size is your team? Um, so the desktop team is only two people, me and another guy. So, um, and then the mobile really team small. is also. That's like oh yeah, <laughs> we're well, we're tiny. Um, and the mobile team is also two people, and um, we have a few other developers that work on various other aspects of our platform, like the backend, because we have a cloud piece, and you know, um, like our developer tool, and we also have developers who work specifically on um, some of the uh, like the support issues and stuff like that. So we. Our development team isn't necessarily tiny, but it is pretty small. We are a startup, so it's not a big company, and we're you know working really hard to get it out there so that we can you know start bringing in the dough and you know <laughs> expanding the team. So let's talk about that for a second. So your startup that you're hosting open source applications, and that's kind of the the entry point into Accelerator. But let's talk about a little bit about your business model and what you plan for the Accelerator, I guess, marketplace, the exchange. Um, so yeah, that was one of our original ideas, um, and you know, we—I'm not sure if we're going down that route uh, right away, but um, the way that we're kind of trying to uh, monetize right now is basically we have a few different partner programs, um, and we're talking with um, you know, like people who want to distribute Titanium desktop apps, uh, you know, for licensing and things like that. So we have a few different approaches that we're trying to take for getting people to pay us for premium content based on top of the open source software, um, mostly cloud-based and things like that, um, and then relicensing. So, But as far as um, the projects themselves, I guess Titanium Desktop and Titanium Mobile are both fully open source. There's no proprietary extensions that you guys 
have on top of those? Everything, yeah, everything, all the software is all free and open source. Um, we don't have, like you said, there's no proprietary extensions um, unless they're created by the community, but I, I'm not aware of any. Um, everything we have right now is under the Apache 2 license. Um, so it's all free and, you know, we don't, we have no plans and no, you know, we're not going to bait and switch, anything like that. It's a pretty fundamental root level thing of ours that we want to make sure that that always stays that way. So, And if you're listening in at home or in the car, you can get to, hopefully not in the car, you can get to all of this code at uh, github.com slash accelerator. And let's talk briefly, I guess, about Titanium Desktop. This is your area of focus at, at Accelerator. How did the project come about, and, and what problems are you trying to solve with, with Titanium Desktop? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you know, we, we saw error early on, um, and we liked the idea of being able to write a native application using web technologies. We figured there's so many web developers in the world, and even amongst developers who don't consider themselves web developers, most of them are able to use web technologies uh, fairly proficiently. So we saw that uh, solution and we thought, well, that's a really good idea, except you know, the Adobe way of um, solving that was a little closed down. Um, it wasn't as open as we had hoped it could be. And it was very restrictive uh, in terms of permissions. You didn't have all the rights that a normal desktop application did. Um, and so there were a lot of technical things about it that we just we weren't really happy with. So, you know, one day we sat down um, in Mountain View, which is where we're based, and we just said, you know, hey, why don't we try to do this on our own, a real true open source, you know, uh, desktop SDK for, you know, writing native apps using web technologies. And so uh, that's what I did, um, you know, for probably about three or four weeks there, um, coded pretty hard, and uh, we got our first prototype out for OS X uh, internally. Um, and then once we saw... You know that we we tackled Windows and um, we released zero dot one. So within just a few weeks of that, so you know that was our original goal was to kind of tackle this. Um, you know, it's kind of this merge between you know the traditional cross-platform desktop uh, APIs, where you know they've had trouble reaching a lot of inroads in terms of um, getting mass adoption. Um, mainly because of the complexity of some of the some of the languages used for those APIs, like C++ or whatever, um, you know, tackling that problem as well as tackling the the other problem, which was allowing web developers to you know send their content um, at a native level. Um, you know, people are kind of embracing this native app um, <clears throat> world where you have like a native experience, native speed, you know, deeper, richer integration into the operating system, things like that. So. Um, that was kind of our goal. So when you, uh, I mean, I love the idea of leveraging the web development community because there's just tons of those guys out there, and they're just growing every day with the you know the internet becoming more and more prevalent in everybody's homes. It's spreading like wildfire. But uh, where did this idea come from to to truly you know leverage that piece, and what does it take to allow you know web technologies to code against you know various platforms? Well, it's um, it's it is not uh, an easy task, <laughs> um, as you might have looked at our code and figured out that the the low level details of some of the stuff can be very difficult from time to time. Um, but you know that's part of what makes it fun from an engineering standpoint, too. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, there's in terms of like how we implemented it, or you know, some of those details, like in. In Windows, OS X, and Linux, we use WebKit. We just we fork our own version of WebKit, um, and we have some hooks in there that we you know that we allow for some custom impl- uh, some custom functionality that we have. <clears throat> and then in um, in iPhone and Android, we have two different uh, completely separate versions of the code base because obviously Android is Java based, um, iPhone is Objective C based, and so we have. Um, a lower level kind of integration there with Objective C and Java, uh, and then we we more or less in the beginning what we did was we kind of took the web view and started you know uh, over the URL layer or whatever we we had a uh, a native callback functionality so that you could call into Objective C. So we would shim out like native APIs into JavaScript, so the developers didn't have to worry about you know the Objective C way of doing things. Um, and so we we kind of made a common API across Android and uh, and iPhone doing that. And, of course, there are some specific APIs for each platform, which is actually one uh, major thing um, that we like to highlight about our platform, but we can get we can talk about that later. Uh, but, 
we more or less allow you to use um, the native functionality of the phone itself, whether that be the APIs like geolocation or um, uh, like the accelerometer, you know, the camera, things like that. We also allow you to use um, the, the widgets of the platform, so like native buttons, native sliders, native tabs, native views, you know, those kinds of things that are, provide a richer experience to the end user, which just aren't possible in, in like a Safari-based web app or, you know, um, something like that. So <clears throat> they provide, you know, faster response. They provide, you know, a, a more um, unified look to the app because it looks just like other native apps on the, on the platform. So those are things that we really tried to focus on. I think right now probably Titanium Mobile is getting uh, more buzz. Is that right? For sure, yeah. I mean, mo- mobile is blowing up, for sure. I think I was watching an Ignite, and I was watching one of the videos, uh, f- I think from Ignite 1 in Boulder, and one of the guys, had it was like the very first Ignite presentation, and he was talking about mobile and how it's changed. And this was back in 08. He was talking about mobile, and he was saying that 2009 would be the year of mobile. What, has that happened yet? I mean, did I miss it, or it, has the year of mobile actually started yet? I think it has. I mean, if you if you just take a look at you know the numbers that Apple is posting in terms of how many apps they've sold on the App Store and how many units they've been pushing, and I just I think the general consensus in the market right now is that the perception that the consumer had before 2009 versus what it is today of what a phone is, what it should be, and what it you know is completely different. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's just very verified through you know, the whole app store concept and, you know, people wanting to, you know, apps existed before the app store for Windows Mobile and other mobile platforms, but they weren't, um, they just weren't homogenous. You know what I mean? They they weren't, you know, the experience wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't um, seamless. And, you know, Apple has faults and, you know, the iPhone has faults and, you know, we all know about AT&T, but, um, you know, what they've brought to the table in terms of, uh, in my opinion, what they brought to the table in terms of uh, just making the whole experience seamless and um, kind of educating the consumer about what's possible has really changed the game in mobile. And I think I think it was. You know, it seems for a number of years we've gone oscillated back and forth between uh, client-server type apps and, and web apps, apps that are del- delivered to the client, apps that are delivered in a browser. It's kind of like the uh, boot cut versus tapered leg um, <laughs> fashion cycle, you know? Um, Absolutely. But what's um, exciting about projects like this is you kind of get the idea that you can create hybrid applications that have a native look and feel where they need it but can talk out to the cloud and, and get data from, from that angle as well. Just anecdotally, what do you find uh, people building with these particular projects? Are they all pure native plays or are they kind of a combination of both? Well, I think, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, you know, one of the advantages of using you know native stuff with web technology is obviously you get kind of the best of both worlds, um, and you know we're kind of hoping to push that. And I mean, the emerging HTML5 standard and things that Google and you know other companies are doing right now is kind of all pushing on that merge of you know richer, deeper functionality into the main system, whether that be the the iPhone or the or an Android phone or the desktop. You know that deep, richer functionality integrated with the web. You know the web technologies like you know AJAX and JSON and all these other great technologies that have allowed us to do really cool things on the web. Um, you know the merging of those two things is a really good thing, and you know that's that's really what we're banking on. Let's talk a bit about the um, .8 release. I guess that's the the latest release of Titanium Mobile. I see that Facebook Connect is now in there. Uh, what does that oh, yeah. mean as far as? Um, I guess, boosting um, a lot of the use cases for, for building mobile applications? Well, I mean, this obviously is a, a great API for, you know, just about any kind of social media integration you can think of. Um, and so, you know, this opens the door to all kinds of different possibilities. Um, and I don't have any use cases off the top of my head um, that are using our new Facebook API, but I know that, you know, just just thinking about it, you could think of several ways that you could use Facebook Integration in a native API, you, you have you know much fuller, richer access to that whole uh, set of metadata. So, any other plans for any other social networks in addition to Facebook? Um, we don't have. Well, I mean, obviously, like most of the social networks have like public AJAX JSON APIs. So, you know, if we don't have it now, it's pretty easy to integrate um, from that standpoint. 
but um, we don't have integration for like native integration for Twitter or anything like that yet. So I was going to ask something funny because I just uh, I just caught an article earlier this morning when I was checking out TechCrunch, and we were talking mm-hmm. about Facebook. And is anybody aware that Facebook just got its own vitamin water flavor? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know the vitamin what? water uh, company called I think it's it's a French company, so it's Glaceau or Glasso or I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's G L A C E A U. Uh they just released a flavor called Connect. Nice. And it's uh wow. sponsored by and powered by Facebook. Is it blue? So, so, <laughs> it's, it's pink. <laughs> it's pink. I don't know why it's not blue, but I just since we was talking about Facebook, I thought I'd just throw that little funny tidbit in there. That may be a sign of the uh, impending apocalypse and social media bubble. <laughs> about the oil collapse. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny, though, that, that Facebook is making such a huge push. In, I mean, every application you go to these days is, uh, is allowing you to get into it or get started quickly through Facebook and, and adding your friends. And Absolutely. I think, you know, the more they push that boundary, too, I mean – it's helping, obviously, Titanium get uh, you know, more and more pushed, too, because people will leverage that and begin to use it more because it has you know, a certain feature. Yeah, one of my favorite items of Titanium Desktop, to switch back to the desktop for a moment, was uh, the wizard-based new project application that allows you to, to bring your own um, JavaScript framework. Can you talk a bit about what decisions went into um, that particular feature and, and how it's made a, a difference? Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, actually, since Titanium is WebKit-based, um, which, you know, is the same engine that runs on Safari and Chrome and a number of other browsers, the iPhone mobile Safari, um, you know, we support all the major JavaScript libraries. It's, they work out of the box. But like you said, you know, one of the things we did in our project creation was allowed you to automatically integrate with any of the libraries that you're used to. So we have most of the major uh, Ajax libraries there, like jQuery and Mutools and uh, you know, Dojo and those kinds of libraries. Um, you know, they're all there, and you can just create your project, select the library, and we just download the JavaScript, or we have it bundled in, we can download it either way, and we can just throw it in your project structure, and we include it in your HTML for you, and then you can just get started right away. Um, and then we also have a, another feature that's similar to that called the Sandbox, um, which is interesting. It allows you to just kind of prototype code um, in a kind of like a text area kind of thing and just allows you to run it as a native app and just gives you an idea of what you can do with just small snippets of code and kind of quickly prototype functionality and then throw it in your you know, project and then you know, go from there. You mentioned before that, uh, that WebKit has allowed you to code against not just Windows and Mac but also Linux. What is that, uh, uh, you know, I guess, trying to code against you know, one common API but hitting multiple platforms? What is Web- WebKit meant for what you're doing with Titanium? Well, I mean, WebKit is the center of our entire play, whether that be on mobile or desktop. Um, we use WebKit on, in, all, th- in you know, all of our platforms, and uh, it's crucial uh, to our product. Um, we, Martin and I specifically, you know, we, we've had a number of patches uh, committed into WebKit, so we're contributors to WebKit as well. Um, I was going to say, you guys know, might even be graduating into like core contributors yeah. or core team. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're getting there. We're not um we're not we don't have um committer flags or anything like that yet, but we're um we're graduating slowly through the ranks. Um you know, we have I would say Martin has probably the most patches committed right now. I think he's probably got seven or eight patches committed and I've got about four or five. So um you know, some of them are minor, some of them, you know, are major, but you know at the end of the day, WebKit is, you know, crucial to our project and um you know, back what you said about kind of the common API, um it's actually not quite true. Um, so okay. for each platform, yeah. So for each platform, there's actually a completely different API. Oh, oh what uh, I meant, sorry, what I meant was for the developer to use Titanium, they're coding against you know one single API, but you know behind right. the scenes, Titanium's taking care of interacting with different APIs. Oh right, yeah, um, yeah, and that's you know that is always that's always going to be a challenge for any you know cross-platform API of any kind, whether that's you know Titanium or whether that's Qt or you know any. Any cross-platform API is going to have that problem, but um, yeah, it's definitely been interesting and it's been a challenge. Um, and the other aspect of that has been that you know, for each platform, not only is there different APIs, but there's also different rendering engines, um, which you know, 
those can cause inconsistencies in what people expect from, you know, from... Yeah, that's from, what I was wondering, too. How do you handle that? Like, how do you handle those inconsistencies? You know, I got to imagine that as a developer, if if I'm doing something and, and it doesn't react the way I think it should, how do you handle that rebuttal back to the developer saying, you know, hey, I, I, I did something and it didn't work out like I thought it should? Well, you know, some... It depends on the issue. Like, some of them are font-based, and with fonts, you know... Obviously, font metrics are going to be slightly different from platform to platform, specifically because some fonts aren't even available on one platform or another. Um, so if you're using, for example, you know, um, Helvetica New, which I don't think exists by default on Windows, that's not going to show up correctly. It's going to show up as you know, Arial or some other font. So you have those kinds of issues which are fixable at the client side by the developer. And then you have other issues where you know, there's pixel changes or, you know, yeah, like we had a recent issue where um, fonts were being kind of cut off um, in specific cases in Windows. And, you know, that's where we have to go back to WebKit and say, hey, guys, this is broken. And then, you know, sometimes we'll find the fix and we'll, we'll, we'll submit the patch. Sometimes someone else who's more knowledgeable on the WebKit uh, team will find the, pro- we'll find the um, problem and fix it there. But, you know, it's, it, it's a downstream or an upstream, whatever, you know, process, you know. They find the bug here. We go to WebKit. You know, we talk it out with their developers. Sometimes we're the ones coding it. Sometimes we're not. But at the end of the day, it helps. You know, it helps both projects, which is nice. When you're targeting multiple platforms like this, especially in the desktop, um, you know, one of the cool things about native apps is they take advantage of, of features that just aren't there on the other platforms. Do you find yourself coding to a least common denominator or a core set of functionality, and then have extras based on platform from there? How do you handle those sorts of decisions? Well, that's a good question. Um, so, in mobile, it's been it's been much more pronounced that we have um, kind of branches of functionality that work on iPhone and, and Android, um, like specific views that are only available on one platform, that kind of thing. Um, but on the desktop, um, the, the story is a little different. Um, the way we approached it originally was we wanted to. We wanted to provide, a, kind of like we said, a common set of APIs that work on all, all the platforms. And we do have a few APIs that are platform-specific, um, but they're kind of few and far between right now. And we're hoping that um, after our 1.0 release, we're going to start shelling out more of the platform-specific um, stuff. So, you know, that's, that's something we want to do. But, you know, with the two-person two team, it, <laughs> we, we got our plate full as it is right now. So... <laughs> Do you have any way to track what features uh, folks use when building out their applications? I'd be curious to know um, what sort of languages are, are winning out inside of Titanium, like Ruby or Python or PHP, to, to build out these applications. Well, the vast majority are going to be using JavaScript, um, but we, you know, I don't really have raw numbers, but I mostly what I have is anecdotal, um, just from the support forums where we, you know, try and help people through their problems. Um, what I've seen mostly, I would say, other than JavaScript, would be Python. Python seems to be really heavily used. Um, and PHP also is starting to take a pretty big um, uh, undertaking. And we do have Ruby users, too, um, a fair amount of them. Um, but I wouldn't say quite as big as either one of those, unfortunately, because I, I like Ruby, too. <laughs> um, but uh, we have a, you know, as soon as we released PHP support, which was on our last release, um, that was a huge bandwagon. We've way more than we thought we would for PHP. So, do you mind if we rewind for just a sec? It was uh, a little bit earlier when we were talking about WebKit, and you were talking about contributing to WebKit. And when this is more like a conversation for me and you right now, but you know, Marshall, you're here too, so I'm hoping that you give some good feedback to this. But um, you'd mentioned, and since I don't contribute too much to other people's projects, I do some lightweight open source stuff, but I'm not a huge, huge contributor to big things like WebKit or Titanium, but um, you'd mention commits and uh, patches and stuff like that, and how many patches is that uh, in the open source developer community? Is that a is that like a way to rank in a way to say well, I've got more patches than you? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. Um, you know, it it really depends on the project too, um, because I, you know before this, like I said, I worked at JBoss, and um, there I was a contributor to Eclipse because my project there was an Eclipse based IDE, right? Um, and so, you know, there are inevitably bugs and Eclipse that needed to be fixed, and we would, you know, push those out. And depending on the project, you know, each project has its own kind of governance, you know, its own set of rules of how it's going to accept patches or it's going to accept commits. Um, and depending on that, like, 
you know, how many patches or how many people have to say this guy should be a committer before we accept him. So it really just boils down to at the end of the day, you know, how much have you contributed, I guess. And just, you know, a patch is a, a good way to quantify that. So when I say four or five patches or whatever, it's just a good way to say, you know, we've, we have been contributing back to WebKit and we, you know, we will continue to do so. Um, and we hopefully through those number of patches is, you know, they see our value, we will be voted in as committers and then we can start, you know, providing some more value there. So. Right. Well, behind the scenes, Wynn and I are doing some fun stuff and I guess I shouldn't talk too much about that or release too much information about it, but I just thought the notion of, you know, using the term a patch and being able to count how many patches you've contributed would be a way to more or less show the level of support for a project or your contribution to a project and give you a certain amount of rights based on a certain amount of patches. Yeah, I think what what Adam's poking at is, you know, one of the things that we're, we've asked uh, in doing the change log is, you know, what projects are out there, especially in GitHub since it's open, um, and who is are creating those projects so that you know who to follow and what to watch on GitHub. And uh, we've just been anecdotally asking people, you know, if you had to devise an algorithm, what would you put in an algorithm to, to figure out who was interesting and what was interesting to uh, to watch in GitHub? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think forks it would be a good way to go because what we've seen, you know, we're on GitHub and... Um, you know, our contributors um, across the board are forking our repository. And so anytime I see a fork of our repository, I can expect a patch sometime soon, most of the time. Um, so You mentioned briefly that every project has its own kind of governance and, and hierarchy of uh, how it runs its project. And I think that is one of the cool things that uh, Git has introduced. And since it's decentralized, you know, no longer do you, do you find these fiefdoms of uh, subversion repositories now that it, it's easy just to go fork a project and really whoever's got the most momentum and, and the most inertia really <laughs> is running the project these days. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess if you slack off a bit, you can easily lose control of your own project. You know, if you take a five-month hiatus, the community might be like, yeah, that, that uh, the original is no longer the latest. Oh, and that happened just this morning. I got an email uh, from GitHub where somebody had sent me a message asking about a particular bug in a repo that I've got, the tiny little JavaScript plugin um, from almost a year and a half ago. And before I had a chance to respond, there was someone else that had forked the repo that had visibility to the issue that said, I've fixed it in my fork, and here you go. So that's just the power of open source. Right. And I guess if you finally merge that back into yours, then you still retain, but otherwise you might be opt to lose. That's right. That's right. So keep up, right? Keep up. Exactly. Absolutely. The horse moves fast. Hey, Marshall, I wanted to switch gears for a minute and talk kind of marketing. What goes in, into uh, getting a word out about an open source project, or in your case, several open source projects. Uh, can you talk for just a brief moment how you use Twitter and social media and meetups and things of that sort to get the word out about Titanium? Yeah. Um, you know, we obviously, since we're a startup with, you know, fairly little money, um, <laughs> we try to, you know, save money wherever we can and marketing is one way, you know, we, we definitely have approached marketing from kind of a guerrilla standpoint, you know, in terms of going through Twitter and Facebook, well, not Facebook quite as much, but mostly Twitter. And, uh, like you said, meetups, um, and I think it's really important because, you know, the bottom up approach I think has been proven to work the, the best for open source. Um, you know, J boss did the same when they were their own company, you know, we went through the developers and the developers would bring the project up and, you know, eventually their managers would say, oh, this is a cool thing. You know, all of my developers are talking about it. Let's bring it in. Let's pay them a contract fee or whatever, you know, support fee. Um, and, you know, that's how the business is run. Um, and it's a great way to start an open source business. Um, and, you know, this is just kind of the next generation of that, you know, utilizing Twitter, um, going to, you know, these, you know, local meetups. You know, I like, you know, when you know me, I like to be pretty much anywhere in Dallas that is talking about technology and start pumping titanium, um, you know. That's just because I have a lot of energy for the project. But, uh, you know, in general, um, our our concept has been like we have, you know, Twitter. And we have a lot of people that like the technology, and we'll just utilize that as much as we can. And um, another way we've, you know, gotten a lot of uh, free marketing from our Twitter stream is from just kind of giving out swag, which is another thing. People love swag. So we, we have T-shirts and, you know, we have stickers and all kinds of all that kind of stuff, bracelets. And we'll just say, hey, you know, help us um, promote the 08 release, which is what we did. We just had a big thing for if you help us promote the 08 release, we'll give you a free shirt and a free bracelet. And um, 
people ate it up. You know, they they wanted the swag. So <laughs> there you go. I wonder if uh, if it would be cool to also get involved with like um, some of these incubators or even like the startup weekends that take place because you got you know a fair. I guess it's probably a little premature that first weekend for a startup weekend, but I'm thinking like uh, Capital Factory or Y Combinator or um, some of the other. Uh, kind of incubator style things if if it makes sense to go in and sponsor those or even get involved in those to uh to uh you know to foster that early development on you know one api many platforms oh yeah that's yeah, that's a great idea we um i unfortunately missed dallas startup weekend um which was not too long ago um but yeah i i definitely agree with you i mean there's a um there's a really great um i wouldn't say it's an incubator it's more of kind of a co-working setup uh, called Go Habitat in downtown Dallas, and um, I frequent there probably once or twice a month, um, just just to plug myself in and you know kind of spread the word and see what people are doing. And inevitably, it works out well for the platform. I get people that are interested and in come into our IRC, you know, IRC channel or go into our support forums and start using our stuff. So, you also have uh, the App Accelerator University too, right? And you guys are doing um, just did that. Yeah, what, yeah what exactly so that was that. Yeah, so Accelerator University was another really great kind of guerrilla marketing campaign, in my opinion. Um, it was basically the idea was that we would send you all the stuff you need for free, which was the training material, uh, the swag, um, and all that. And all you have to do is find a location and set up a time and you know tell people about it in your local area. And you have, more or less, you have our community teaching others who don't or aren't in our community yet um, about our product. And it's great because, you know, we, we give them the free training. Like, the training that they would give, we give them the same training. And, you know, we help them through the material, and we help them all that with all that stuff. And at the end of the day, they have, A, the knowledge, which helps, you know, which helps them develop their own application better. And B, they have the fire to go then out and you know spread that message to their own local um, you know technical user base. So what we saw with AppU was you know little communities all over the world actually you know India and um, I, I think there was one in Australia. Um, and so we had, obviously we had one here in Dallas because I I couldn't uh, <laughs> I couldn't resist doing one here. But uh, you know all over the place. Um, when were you with that? Really cool. I did not go only because um, Marshall gave a, a talk on, on uh, Titanium like two days before, and so. Oh yeah, I gave at the Ruby talk at the right, uh, Ruby yeah. Dev Show. <laughs> but uh, you did hand out some swag there at the uh, the Ruby talk, and I still sport my AppU T-shirt at least once a week. So, <laughs> is this an ongoing uh, program? If, if someone has a JavaScript or Ruby or Python meetup, can they get involved? Um, as far as I know, we're still doing it, and we have. I know, like whenever I go to the Mountain View office. Um, we just have boxes of the swag sitting around waiting for people to use it. So, you know, not like, you know, we, we've, I think it's awesome because, you know, we just, I think we ran out of like all we had and then we did a second order and we're just waiting for people to use it now. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. So are you just a, um, committer on the, um, the desktop end or are you also a consumer of titanium desktop? Um, well, so we have uh, our main product, which is how developers, uh, you know, develop apps for Titanium. It's called Titanium Developer, um, and it's based. It's a desktop app. It's a it's a Titanium desktop app. So you know, we we run through and test that pretty rigorously before each release. So that's that's kind of our main app that we kind of eat our own dog food on. Um, and we also have obviously you know a big test suite, which is a Titanium desktop app. Uh, and a, another test app which has like manual uh, UI testing in it. <clears throat> so um, I would say both. And you know, for mobile, um, I don't technically contribute much. I've contributed a little, but mostly on kind of like the packaging side and whatnot. Uh, but I, I I am developing you know a few just little personal mobile apps so that I can stay on top of everything that's going on there too. So any sweet spot that you think uh, is best suited for apps of either. Either persuasion? Um, you know, that's that's a good question. Well, people surprise me, to be honest, uh, like what they come up with for doing this stuff. Because, you know, 
starting off, you know, I, I think there are some pretty obvious use cases like um, brand applications, like stuff like kind of like the New York Times app or like, you know, that, that sort of persuasion um, where it, there is content there and some interesting stuff there, but, you know, it's, it's there to tie a person to a specific brand. Um, but you also had things like, um, you know, people just porting more traditional desktop, cross-platform desktop apps to Titanium, uh, starting to. Um, and we had some, some pretty um, interesting, real, actually really interesting use cases coming out. Um, I can't talk about them right now, but um, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that that'll be made public soon. Um, that, that's a really cool one. The one, specific one I'm thinking of is really cool. Um, and then, you know, for mobile, um, kind of the same sort of thing, you know, um, you know mar- uh, kind of like ad agencies will have like a specific uh, brand they're trying to push and they'll make an app that, you know, has the content of that brand, but also it's kind of, you know, a stylized brand type style application. But we also have a lot of people who are doing like, you know, functional, um, like, you know, task oriented applications on mobile um, right now. And so there's, there's a lot of variety, um, surprisingly, uh, and what people are doing with it. I'm curious, actually, if you guys are hiring. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't know if we're officially hiring at this moment. Um, you know, We'll accept resumes, obviously. <laughs> we keep them on the back burner. But um, as far as I know, I think right now we're just kind of holding steady until you know we can make some bigger announcements and you know hopefully expand the team at that time. Well, we actually yeah. um, we actually had somebody in the in the Twitter audience, fellow by the name of well, his Twitter handle is J E E D E E. It's I guess it's G D, right? G D. G D. His question is if uh, he wants to know if the Titanium desktop is going to get some love and uh, if you can give some details if possible. Uh, but he also made a special note to also tell you that Titanium rocks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, desktop is getting lots of love. Um, for 0.8, so the 0.8 release that's out right now is uh, mobile, obviously. Um, we've kind of lagged behind a little bit in desktop for the 0.8 release. We've had some pretty major things that we've been working on for this release. Um, the two most notable things in this release are a brand new Windows installer. Um, we had one that we wrote kind of custom uh, originally that didn't work out so well. I had some bugs. Uh, we received a lot of complaints from the community about that. So we um, we revamped it, and we're using a, a newer style kind of MSI kind of native experience for that. Um, so that was fairly substantial. And then we're also um, supporting full... Um, dithering transparency now uh, in your application uh, in Windows, uh, which is also supported before this in OS X. Um, so what that means is you can do you know custom shape windows and dithering out with you know partial transparency back to the desktop and things like that um, seamlessly with your web app. So pretty cool stuff. What are you guys using on the Mac side for uh, updates? Sparkle or Homegrown or what? It's all Homegrown. Um, so we we use the same code. It's all JavaScript based. It's uh, we use the same code on all three platforms for that. <clears throat> um, we actually have one thing we haven't talked about much is um, we have a cloud backend um, that actually more or less ties into your app. So when you develop an app um, using Titanium Developer, um, you actually have kind of like an entry back in our cloud. And when you publish that app, we provide you with like you know a Bitly style link for that app for like the downloads for that app. And you get your own analytics for that app. So you get like downloads and you know what platforms are used, how many people are from each platform are using it, things like that. And uh, you know that all ties into our update service as well. So when you <clears throat> when you create a new release of your app, um, that update is pushed to your application via a JavaScript function callback, uh, and then you can just handle that code however you pr- however you please. But we also provide a URL which has the update in it. So uh, you know. A developer being kind of like our our flagship desktop app uh, makes use of that as well. So whenever we make a new release of developer, we push it through an old version of developer. We're basically using developer to <laughs> push new versions of developer out there, uh, and the updates you know get proliferated to anyone who has developer installed, which is all the titanium developers right now. So pretty cool. I know your primary focus is on the desktop, but on the mobile side, um, can you speak a little bit to what support you offer for the App Store on either platform, either uh, iTunes or Android? Um, we do have some integration with like the process of going through and um, you know actually packaging the app up for the store, but 
when you when it gets to the part of actually submitting it and whatnot, um, we we kind of get out of the way at that point. So that's kind of your territory. Um, so our tools for iPhone specifically, at least, um, you know, we we have like a step by step wizard more or less, or a step by step process that allows you to just kind of integrate their your your private key for your app, sign your app, all that stuff. It kind of walks you through a checklist, and then at that point, you know, we run everything through the simulator, you know, to test your app, obviously. And we also have integration with iTunes so that we can, you can run your app directly onto the iPhone. Uh, you can copy it directly onto the iPhone. Um, but we don't, we don't do anything yet for integration with actually publishing to the app store. So, And to put those applications on your iPhone, you'll need to enroll with the Apple developer program. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And it was my and experience was- going through and doing that for a business was quite painful. And I believe the last time we spoke, you had mentioned that, uh, just to get up quickly, go ahead and do it as a personal account, and then if you have to do it for a business, do that in a second step. Yeah, that's exactly what I did because um, it was it was really painless uh, for me to do the personal account, and obviously cheaper. <laughs> so, I guess we're getting near to the to the point where we ask about uh, stuff that's on your radar. So, what uh, what out there in open source is is on a hot button for you? What's on your radar? Um, Node.js is really sweet. Um, that's kind of the buzz right now in the JavaScript community. Um, server-side JavaScript apps uh, done really well, in my opinion. Um, just a really interesting API and uh, doing some really cool stuff there. Um, the other open source stuff on my radar. Um, one that's not really new, but I think is really interesting is Raphael, which is doing um, you know vector-based um, animations in JavaScript. I think that's really awesome. And I think, you know, in general, the way that things are going, um, you know, we're going to be moving to more and more complex graphic abilities in the browser and, you know, therefore in Titanium, obviously, as well. But um, I think some really cool things are going on right now um, in WebKit. Um, they're, they're implementing um, the WebGL stuff, which is all the three-dimensional, you know, APIs for the web. Uh, it's basically a lot like OpenGL. And they've got that already in there for OS X, and they're working on it now for Windows um, some really cool stuff going on there. I've seen um, some of that stuff in action in uh, in um, J- JQ Touch, right? Like with the some of the various effects where you can cube a div. You actually take a div and turn it left and turn it right into cubes. Is that what you're talking about? With so, the animations. So that so that so that is what's called uh, CSS 3D, and we do okay. have support for that as well. So CSS 3D um, is not quite like full three dimensional like gaming quality 3D. So CSS 3D is like taking a two-dimensional object and being able to rotate it in 3D space. Whereas uh, WebGL is a true 3D environment where you actually have a a three-dimensional scene and a three-dimensional objects. So, you know, it's it's a lot like, it's basically OpenGL, more or less is what it is, um, with a JavaScript API. So, um, you know, they're both cool technologies. Uh, They just have, they serve different purposes. I can imagine that the CSS one's probably not quite as robust as as something that's done with JavaScript. Uh, well, they're both JavaScript based, but the um, the CSS 3D uh, technique is mainly used for um, how do I put this? So, like when you when you first open Safari 4, you have this like um, it kind of looks like a like a mini bowl of web pages <clears throat> where like they have the different web pages that you recently visited, and it kind of oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like got a three-dimensional effect to it. And that that's done using CSS 3D. So that the idea I guess is like, you know, you can take two-dimensional content and kind of do some three-dimensional um effects on it. Um and so that's really interesting for in terms of like animations and like kind of stylizing content to make it look more rich and whatnot. Whereas WebGL is more kind of centric on okay, we can make true three-dimensional things and more or less, I mean, it's going to be hot for gaming is more or less what it's going to be for um, <laughs> at the end of the day. But, you know, it'll have other uh, uses outside of that too, I'm sure. But I think that's the main focus for it. What bearing, if any, do technologies like HTML5 and, and Canvas specifically have on either of these projects? On Oh, on mobile and desktop? I right. Think, I think huge. Well, I think huge because, um, you know, Canvas, like you said, I mean, is a, is a, a big component of HTML5 and um, you know, right now, Canvas is mostly done with 2D graphics, but 
the WebGL allows it to do 3D graphics. So the canvas is, I think, a really important piece of technology that's going to push web technology into the next generation. Um, you know, being able to do things that traditionally you could only do with standalone, raw, low-level native apps. Um, that's the way we're moving. I think, you know, I think, I think within the next 10 years, it's going to be very hard to find, like, low-level C-based games. Like, by the end of the decade, I think we're going to see a lot more higher-level. That's, that's my opinion anyway. I could be wrong. but <laughs> Well, 10 years is a long time, though, and web, web years. I mean, yeah. last year was like 10 years ago, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're talking about like uh, 100 years in web years. <laughs> Absolutely. Math. So true. So next century, we will. <laughs> so Marshall, where can folks get a hold of you? Twitter, GitHub, whatnot? Um, yeah, so probably the best way is through Twitter um, or my email address. Um, I'm on Twitter at Marshall, uh, my first name, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L underscore law, L-A-W. Um, and then um, my accelerator email address is uh, M. Culpepper, my last name, C-U-L, then uh, Pepper, like salt and pepper, at accelerator.com. Um, and those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. And then I'm also on the web at arcaner.com. A-R-C-A-N-E-R dot com. Well, cool, man. Hey, uh, we really love having you on the show. Really appreciated, uh, you know, getting a lot of your opinions on various things. The projects you're working on are super cool. Appreciate everything you've done for open source and everything Accelerator is doing for the community to, I guess, jump on board and do more with uh, with mobile. This is definitely pushing mobile into the next year it's going into. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we went an hour just talking about how location and, and crowdsourcing is in every single app we're touching these days, and you know, mobile plays a big piece in that too. So, huge, huge piece Absolutely. in crowdsourcing. Huge. Absolutely. Yep. Anything else, Wynn? No, that's it. Thanks again, Marshall, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me talk about it. No problem. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Changelog. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also, visit thechangelog.com to follow along, subscribe to the feed, and more. Thank you for listening.